You know, experts say that adults make tens of thousands of decisions per day, whether big or small, like deciding on your career direction or figuring out breakfast. But the decisions we make are determined by our worldview, and Jesus challenges his followers with this worldview-shaking statement, I am the door. Today, Aaron breaks this down for us and shares an example of how choosing Jesus can change the direction of your life. Welcome to Challenge. We've met. I am not a big deal. My name is Aaron, and I get to be with you tonight, and I love Thursday nights with you guys. So I'm continuing a series tonight on the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John, and I get to speak on I am the door, and I have learned a lot because I did not know anything about this in the past, so we can learn together. But I don't know if you, like, maybe like me, you've ever been to a coffee shop and watched people struggling with the door, like they push when they should pull, or they pull when they should push, or some people like, it's too clean and they just like walk right into it, and you're like, ouch, that hurts. It's like a live version of America's Funniest Home Videos. Did you guys ever watch that as kids? Yeah. Doors can be confusing, right? confusing for all of us. And often we approach life like a series of doors. Like we go through one door and that leads to another door, which leads to another door. And we can approach decision making kind of in the same way with ourselves at the center. What's going to make me happy? What's going to fulfill me? What's going to make my life the easiest, most comfortable it can be? And for a lot of us who grew up in America, we're kind of indoctrinated with this idea of the American dream. Like, that's what real life is. That's a good life. It's the 2.5 kids. It's the nicest house on the block. It's having a really large bank account where you can travel and just retire young. And you have lived a good life, right? But when you look at the teachings of Jesus, and especially this passage we're going to look at tonight, there is nothing remotely close to that in Scripture. That never once does Jesus... Um, reference making a name for ourselves or recommending an easy, comfortable life. Not at all. He tells us quite plainly, especially in the verse we're going to look at tonight, that life, that real life and abundant life is found only in him. So this passage we're going to look at tonight is John 10, 9 through 10. It says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I want to watch a short video clip tonight of this very old game show called Let's Make a Deal. Some of you may have seen it. And at the very end of the show, this is the very end, and I don't know when this was filmed. I could not find an outfit like this if I tried. But um, the contestants get to choose if they want to trade the money they have for whatever is behind this door. And they don't know what's behind the door. So we're going to watch this and be amazed at what they won. $1,757. Is it behind door number one or door number two or door number three? And before I ask you what door you want, because you're the first person I went to, I want you to know, I want you to know, hold it, hold it. There's just room for only one guy at a time here. Sharon Daniels, you set a record on this show. I don't think anybody's gone for a door with 59 cents. <laughs> but at least for that big deal on the big nighttime show and a possible 8,000 plus waiting. So what door do you want? Three. Door number three, and over here we have Jesmers for $1,500. One. Door number one, nobody took two, so we'll take a look in the middle and see what was waiting back there. Old carpeting was waiting. Right. 40 square yards of Maslin's inner circle property made its give me off nylon from Monsanto. Maslin makes carpets that last for years. 40 square yards are worth $260, and then there was something to put on top of that new carpeting. Beautiful modern furniture. Yes, old craft. 
Peacemaker Group with temporary leisure living in white molded plastic, glass, and fur on upholstery, including dinette set and living room ensemble from Chromecraft Incorporated, Senatobia, Mississippi. Retails for $1,858. Then, to help clean up after the first meal in your new dining room, we also had a new dishwasher. Sears Lady Kenmore Front Loading Convertible Portable Dishwasher. Best cleaning lady in town. That sells for $294.95. So the total value of this deal was $2,000. $412.95. A very nice deal indeed, and you've all paid up considerably. You took door number? Door number three is the one I'm going to show you for your 59 cents right now. And Sharon, you get yourself hamburger. A $50 gift certificate from Big Boy Family Restaurants, famous for the original double-decker hamburger. Over 650 family restaurants across the country and Canada. And we want you to start visiting some of those restaurants right away with this brand new car. Yes, guys, that's what life used to be like. I, I was looking for a snake to wrap around my arm, but I thought it might be a little distracting tonight. Um, but I think a lot of times that's the way we approach the Christian life, right? It's kind of like a game show. But we think if we choose correctly, if we gamble in just the right way, then we can have the life we want but we have to choose the right door. And how do we know if we're gonna choose the right door? If door number three, you guys will have to watch the clip on YouTube to see what the other people want. It's pretty exciting. Um, and some of you may be thinking that about the life that you're living right now, that you'd rather have that new carpet. Wasn't that amazing? And the, the furniture, who doesn't want their living room to look like that? Um, you'd rather want that, maybe the vacation, than Jesus, right? Jesus is just too risky. He asks more than you're willing to give. And you're more comfortable with anything that you can achieve and that you can work hard to earn in the dream that you're trying to fulfill than following him into these unchartered waters, right? Solomon was a man who lived a long, long time ago. He had more possessions and privileges than I think any of us ever will. He was a king, and he said this, There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It's really dangerous to think that we know that what's going to fulfill us. His warning here is that you can be confident and you can be assured and you can be wrong. And you may not die physically, but you'll die spiritually and you could die relationally. So this passage that we're going to go back to again and again tonight, John 10, 9 and 10 says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm planning to say that so many times that you're going to have it memorized by the end of tonight. So as we see in this passage, there aren't really multiple doors in life like the game show that we just watched. Life isn't a game show. You guys know that. We don't have a lot of options. According to this passage, there's two options. There's the door of Christ, which leads to salvation, and there's the door to death which leads to separation from God and spiritual death. Just like Jesus said, I am the light of the world, not a light. He is the light. He says, I am the door. There aren't other doors to him. There is only one. He is the door. So I want to spend some time unpacking kind of the context of this passage because as 21st century as Americans, it's really hard to identify with this agrarian culture. And so when Jesus was talking to the people here, he was using sheep. He was talking about sheep, which they would know very well. I grew up in Oklahoma, and so I had a friend who had 
had a sheep named Pepsi. And so I, I consider myself a, a slight expert on sheep. Um, they poop a lot, and they are pretty dumb animals. It's kind of like, God, I'm a little offended that you would call a sheep, but he was 100% accurate um, using that to describe us. So we see in John 10:7, two verses above the one we're going to read over and over again tonight, Jesus says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's referring to those of us who are followers of Christ as sheep. So back then there were two types of sheepfolds. I know you guys already know this, right? This is review. So the one sheepfold in the city or the village was like the public sheepfold, and it was bigger, and that's like multiple shepherds would bring their sheep there, and they would house them overnight, and in the morning they would come get their sheep, and just by the sound of the shepherd's voice, the sheep would follow that shepherd. And Jeremy's going to talk next week about Jesus as our shepherd. It's such a cool analogy. So but then there's the countryside pen, which I found a picture of on Google Images. So this is where shepherds would keep their flock in good weather. So this type of sheep pen was really nothing more than like a crude structure of rocks that was just elevated with a wall and a small opening in the middle. Um, and that's where the shepherd would drive the sheep in at night to protect them. So, see, there's no gate to close. There's no real door. It was just an opening. But the shepherd would need to protect the sheep from getting out and also from wild animals that would come in. And so he would lie across the opening of that structure, thus being the door to the sheep pen, right? So, literally, he would be the door to the to the pen. Does that make sense? So when Jesus was saying this, talking about sheep, this is what they were imagining, not us what we're imagining with like a barn kind of thing. So I wanted us to get all on the same page. But interesting, when his audience heard him say this, we don't read it as Jesus claiming divinity, but they did, right? They understood what Jesus was explaining. And in this statement of, I am the door, Jesus was saying, I am the way to God. I'm the way to access to God the Father. So just to make sure we're crystal clear on this Jesus as the door thing, so Jesus is the door, like growing up in a Christian home isn't the door, doing good, leading a good life isn't the door, baptism isn't the door, giving a lot of money, coming to challenge on Thursday night isn't the door, Jesus is the door. So again with the verse John 10, 9 says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. So we're going to spend some time going phrase by phrase. If anyone enters by me. So we see here that Jesus wants to be in relationship with his followers. So an open door means unhindered passage, communication, right? Access to the Father. And so what Jesus is saying is the invitation is you can know God. You can have a relationship with God through me. And it's interesting, John, who wrote this passage, was a really close friend of Jesus. And so after Jesus' death, when he's writing this, I imagine that he's really thinking through. When Jesus was saying this, it wasn't a metaphor he was using. It wasn't just a cool illustration. I would imagine John was picturing the cross because John was there. He was there before Jesus' bloodied, broken body. And it was John whose eyes met Jesus when Jesus said, take care of my mom. And so John knew that the cost of being the door, of granting access for us to God, came at a very, very high price to Jesus. So broken fellowship could be restored. That unhindered access could be given to you and I. Just helpless sheep was huge. And we see here that if anyone enters by me, that Jesus' invitation is really clear. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. 
but he alone is the door. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. That's what we saw at the cross, making a way for us to enter into his flock and belong to him. So we see that salvation is free, but it came at a great price to Jesus. But the interesting thing is he's not a shepherd, and Jeremy will talk about this next week. Like, he doesn't tie a rope around us and pull us into the door, right? There's no coercion. There's no force. There's no struggle. It's an invitation. Come. You're welcome. He invites us. He doesn't force us through the door. And you may be here tonight, and you may think, there's no way that door could possibly be open to me. Like, you don't know my life. You don't know my past. My sin is too deep. My past is too colorful. However, you see in this passage that Jesus doesn't issue any disclaimers, does he at all? He says, I am the door, period. The truth is, all of us were at one time locked out of God's presence due to our own sin. But that Jesus opened a way for us to be forgiven, restored, and be in right relationship with God through him. And we see also in the rest of this verse that there are certain privileges granted to those of us who have entered the door of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. So again, the verse, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. So that idea of he will be saved. Saved from what? Like saved from a wolf? Saved from a, I don't know, a mountain lion? Um, no, that's not what he's talking about. We're going to use a verse that's familiar to a lot of you, maybe, um, to help further explain this. So it's John 3, 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what we see here is saved is in contrast to condemnation, Right? That without the salvation offered to us through Jesus, that we all stand condemned by our sin before a holy God. So Jesus is the door to salvation, the only way to escape standing before God guilty in our own sin and hopeless. And then he goes on to say, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will go come in and out and find pasture. So I will be honest, I had no idea this was go in and out and find pasture. I mean, I grew up around pastures, and I was like, oh, I don't really understand this. So let me teach you what I learned. That this Christian life that he invites us to live is so much more than just salvation. It doesn't mean at all that our salvation is insecure, that we go in and out of our salvation like we go in and out of a sheep pen. Not at all. The idea is that Christ is the entry point into a relationship with God. That we don't stop at the threshold of the door, right? We get to enter in. We get to go out. And all that we need is found in Jesus. So I found a picture on Google Images, and this is an Oklahoma pasture. There was lots to choose from, but that just makes my soul like, oh, just the fresh air and the green and the trees, the open spaces. Guys, your next vacation needs to be in Oklahoma. That will restore your soul. Audrey and I will show you a good time. <clears throat> But to go in and out and find pasture means that we're going to have provision in Jesus, that Jesus provides for us, that the nourishment that he gives us is far more satisfying than anything the world can offer. Just like what Eric was speaking about last week, that in this pasture, what you see that sheep would find, they would find lots to eat, right? Like delicious grass to munch on. They would have water. See that pond? I'm sure there's a brook back there with all those trees. Use your imagination. Um, 
They would also have protection from the sun, all those trees, all that shade. Looks like a great place to hang out if I was a sheep, right? For those of us who have entered in to the door of Jesus, we have a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd, and he knows us intimately. And I don't know if many of you have spent time around livestock, but you may be familiar, like they tag their ears with numbers and like ways to identify them, but that's not how our shepherd relates to us. It's not like, oh, H1723B12, oh, is an, has an infected tongue because they were licking the fence post. It's like, no, 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 he knows intimately what's going on with each of us by name. We're not a number. It's not like Kaiser Permanente where I have to give my registered medical record number all these times. I'm not a number with God. I am Aaron and he loves me and he knows my needs and he meets my needs. He's not overwhelmed by the massive needs of just the sheep in this room. He's not like, what am I going to do if these sheep are a mess? No, not at all. He is, he is God. He can handle. He is our good, good shepherd. His heart is so tender towards his sheep that everything we need in life is available through Christ. So some of you are here tonight and you're like, I really need some peace. I am frantic with worry. My anxiety is through the roof. The peace that you need is found in Jesus. Some of you have deep pain and wounds in your life. The healing and the hope and the restoration you're looking for is in Jesus. Some of you are really hoping for deeper faith and getting to know him more. The invitation is come to me. He wants to be your shepherd to guide you, to protect you, to provide for you. His invitation is not that we'll ever outgrow our need, but that we'll just go deeper and deeper into our relationship with him. So again, back to this first, this idea that there are only two doors, right? There's the door entering through Jesus. We enter through his light. Remember a couple weeks ago I just talked about Jesus he is the light of the world. We feast on the bread of life, what Eric was talking about. Everything we need is in Jesus. And as we're going to hear next week, we come to him as the good shepherd. But I don't know about you, but I can really struggle with what I mentally know to be true, but it's different than how I emotionally feel. Like, I can mentally know that, that God is good, that he is infinite, that he wants to take care of me, that I'm not a number to God. So it's like, why in the world would another door tempt me? Like, why would I want to leave this pasture where I'm provided for and protected? But I do. And you do too. Because the enemy of our souls masquerades doors to make them enticing and appealing so they don't look like a way that leads us farther away from God into spiritual death. They look appealing. And sometimes you don't even know what is behind that door. Just the thought that there is another door, you're like, oh, I think I might need that. What if this, what if I'm missing something? Just the idea we could possibly be missing something entices us away from the door of life, right? And the enemy is constantly trying to draw us away to get us through this door of death. And he also wants to get us off track so that we're leading other people away from the door of life, right? He wants us to not be inviting other people to come to know Jesus as the door. But hey, let's go this way. Let's get distracted and dabbled and busy and forget what we're about anyway. And I don't know about you, but I'm way older than you guys, but FOMO is real. It is real at whatever age you are. And so often I think, you know, is it possible to have Jesus, but also to have what the world promises too. Like, I would like the American dream, a hefty bank account, and a Pinterest decorated home that is always clean, that I never have to clean, right? And that's what the world does again and again and again. It overpromises and underdelivers. The world says, you can have it all. 
You can have it all and it won't cost too much. You just need a little bit of Jesus to get you in the door and then you just live however you want to live because it's all about you. But that's not what we see in this passage and that's not what we see anywhere in scripture. That's not what Jeremy's going to talk about next week with Jesus as our shepherd. That when we enter into the door of Jesus, we, meet, we enter into his flock. He is our shepherd and that changes everything. So kind of what this looks like or has looked like in my lifetime when I was your age. I was a junior. I went to the University of Oklahoma and um, I was studying journalism. My emphasis was PR, so I was in a design class and my professor, David Tarpening, was just a really sweet old man with a terrible toupee, but we loved him dearly. He was just endearing. And so one day after class, he was like, Aaron, would you like an internship this summer? I was like, would I ever, when I don't have to apply for it? And he's just like handed to me. And he's like, okay, my girlfriend, okay, this man was like 60 or 70 years old. I don't know, I never met his girlfriend, but I was very intrigued. I really wanted to meet this one. But his girlfriend worked at the top PR firm in Oklahoma City, and she was willing to hire me. So I was like, of course, want it, sign, sealed, stamped, delivered, I want it, let's go. So then you fast forward a few weeks, and I was involved in a similar ministry at OU. And after a Thursday night challenge, my Neil version of Neil Walker, his name was Max, came up to me and was like, Aaron, I can, Neil can do an impersonation of him. I cannot. But um, he came up and grabbed my elbow because he always grabs your elbow when he talks to you. Aaron, I have an idea for your summer. He's like, I want to start a summer training program in New Mexico. I was like, so I go, you guys do not know your geography in the middle of America. I know this, but Oklahoma and New Mexico are not commutable. It is very different. So I was like, huh, thanks, Max. I'm honored that you would think of me, but I have plans. Um, this is an amazing opportunity, Max. I'll be in Oklahoma City. I'll be close to Norman. It'll be great. And he's like, well, would you be willing to pray about it? I was like, okay, I'll pray about it. And I actually did. Like, you know, sometimes you say you're going to pray about it. Not that I ever do that, but I know I do. It's, I'm guilty, 100% guilty. So, but I did. I prayed about it. And lo and behold, I really felt like God wanted me in New Mexico. I was like, oh gosh. So then I had this really awkward conversation with this professor who like really went to bat for me. And I was like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to New Mexico, which is a beautiful place. Um, I still think Oklahoma is a little bit prettier, but New Mexico has a lot of beauty in, its, in and of itself. So rather than learning from these like top PR executives, I worked in a bookstore, I ate in a cafeteria, and I lived in a really dilapidated dorm called Yucca. And it was yuck. I'll be honest. It was, it was yucky. Um, but I got to learn from these five people, Bethel put them up here on the screen. So on the far left is Mike and Debbie Thompson. He was a seminary professor on sabbatical. He's Neil's mentor. So when you got, when Neil was your age, Mike Thompson was discipling him. So this is one of Neil's best friends in the world. And then Cindy Owen is in the middle and she was like me at OU. She was the staff girl that worked on staff there. And then on the right are Jerry and Marilyn Fine and they were just laymen. He had a business. And they gave their entire summer, a full eight weeks to us college students. There's about 60 of us. I can't remember. There was a lot of us. We were from OU, Michigan, Arizona, and USC. And so it was there that I actually got to know Neil Walker because Mike invited him to speak multiple times. And so the next slide is some friends. So the girl on the far left is actually Jeremy's older sister, Neil's and Melinda's daughter. And then the girl in the middle is Amy. And she was my roommate when I moved out here. 
And then this is my small group of girls I got to leave. Those two black girls, they were uh, cinema production majors at USC back in the day, incredibly talented. And so it was just this summer of, that changed my life. Um, I learned how to seek God in his word. I learned how spiritual disciplines can really shape my life. And because Mike has a PhD in church history, we learned all about these, the Anabaptists and these martyrs who laid down their lives so we could have the Bible in our own language and have baptism by immersion. I was like, people I didn't even know to be grateful for. So it was this amazing summer. But what I couldn't see at the time was that God was putting pieces of the puzzle in my life together for the story that he was going to write after I graduated college. And so I will be forever grateful to Max Barnett who asked me to pray about my decision because my 20-year-old self didn't stop long enough to consider that God may have something else for me. And I'm not saying internships are bad, not at all. They're great. I'm just saying I was so full of myself and the dream that I wanted for my life that I didn't even consider God. In fact, my idea was like, if it was good and it fit in with what I wanted for my life, then it must be a green light from God. I never stopped to consider that God would have something else for me than exactly what I wanted for my life. I knew it was best, and I wanted to live it, and I dove in head first. So I'm very grateful for the elbow conversation from Max that stopped me in my tracks. And I'd like to challenge you in a similar way tonight, that there are all sorts of glitzy doors you can walk through every single day, and they look beautiful, and they promise all sorts of things. But as we'll see in this next verse, John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So friends, my prayer is that you and I would be people who would be quick to recognize the false promises of life and to humbly seek wise counsel and obediently follow God as he leads. Because there's a lot of things that promise life. The resume building, the you know, the 401k, the portfolio, all these things that you think are going to satisfy. But this is what Jesus says in Luke 12:15. He says, "Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions." I think it's it's easy for me to think just a little more stuff, a little more in the bank account is all I really need to live the good life. You know, and my greedy heart just wants more. It's never enough because my heart is so greedy. So I wanted to close tonight in honor of the Super Bowl on Sunday um, with a clip that you may have seen. It's from 2005, but it is a, of a man who is a legend and you will recognize him. For those of you who didn't grow up in America, this man is Tom Brady. He is probably one of the greatest football players known to man. I don't know. He's, he's a goat. If, I mean, he has everything. Everything. Um, but let's watch this clip and then I'll wrap it up. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things, but there's a, I know, I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team, and, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that 
I'm trying to find. Three Super Bowls, 27 years old. What are you doing, guys? I mean, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm way older than 27. <laughs> but you're like, oh, but Tom Brady, you are like one of the most beautiful people on the planet. You're married to another beautiful person on the planet. And you have so much money. You, you are wrecking, you couldn't, go, you couldn't go to Target and not be recognized. The man is known everywhere. He is living the life that most of you want to live. You know when you're little and you practice your autograph? Yeah, he doesn't have to practice it. It's everywhere he goes. He's people lined up to get his autograph, right? And this is what he says. God, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what life is. There has to be something more. He has achieved all of that at 27, and he is lost and empty. And we think, but if I was Tom Brady, I would not feel like that. If I had what he had, right, right? But he's kind of the modern-day Solomon in some ways, right? And Solomon says, you know, when, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. May that not be true for you and me. May, if you meet Tom Brady on a plane, may you have a conversation with him and say, I know the answer, Tom. I know the way to the life that you're looking for. We know, right? And we need to live as people who know. Living as Jesus is who he says he is. He's our shepherd. And we want to live the abundant life. And the abundant life is only found in him. And so if you're here tonight, you're thinking, I don't even know how to enter the door of Jesus. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're here. So entering the door of Jesus is really simple. It involves your heart, right? It involves much more than just giving verbal affirmation that Jesus died on a cross and rose for his sin. It's repenting of, I am pursuing my own way, and this is the life I want, and I am right, and choosing to walk the path of God, and turning my back on my prior way of living, and me being in control of my life, and fully surrendering to the life God has for me. Acknowledging my sin and my inability between my best efforts and Christ's perfection. And it's choosing to walk the way of Jesus. It involves surrender, personal surrender to Jesus, wholehearted devotion. And for those of us who want to follow Jesus in this way, knowing that life won't be easy and it won't be comfortable because Jesus never promises that. But what he promises is abundant life, life like you would never find apart from him. So as I close tonight, I would like to remind you that everyone is invited, but that it's a personal choice. So let me pray. And then I'll welcome back up the worship team. Father, thank you so much that you provided a door through your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being our door, for the price that you paid so that we can be reconciled to God. I pray that you would remind us when we are tempted to walk through other doors, that real life and the life that our souls long for is only found in you. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to say one more thing before I close and give a shameless plug for spring break. Um, may I do for you what Max did for me? I know I've had conversations with some of you and you are dead set in what your plans are going to be for spring break. But I would just like to encourage you in the way that Max encouraged me. Would you be willing to pray about it? Would you be willing to pray and ask God how he would like you to invest your spring break? Thank you. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms like the one you're listening on right now, or if you're looking for alternatives, Spotify and Apple Music both work. 
This episode was recorded live on a Thursday night gathering at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're in the area. So get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events, and weekly small groups on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, USCChristianChallenge.com.